Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week. and going to guide you gently through another show. And we have a championship winning chief communications officer with us today. Listeners, you're in for a treat. It's Barry Baum, who's the CCO of the Milwaukee Bucks. Barry, how you doing? Hey, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you can't see me, but I'm actually wearing my Bucks t-shirt in honor of this um, uh, podcast. So, uh, yeah, it's been quite a few weeks. So we're looking forward to chatting and finding out how that's been from a communications point of view. And we got Frank Washcook here, our regular co-host. How are you doing, Frank? How was your holiday? It was great. Uh, thanks for having me back on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. We missed you, but I uh, hope you had some uh, R&R. Um, we're going to talk to Barry, then we'll talk about uh, David Finn, a PR icon who turns 100 years old this week. We'll talk about com- some companies are giving their staff a whole week off in the run-up to um, Labor Day. Not ours, but uh, some companies are, so we'll find out what that's all about. Athletes, and sports, PR and branding in the news again with the Mets, uh, Naomi Osaka and Ronaldo. He's coming home. So um, we'll, we'll talk about that. The US has left Af- Afghanistan, as we know. Um, we'll talk about the optics of that and the president's address and the uh, image of the last uh, soldier getting onto the aircraft as they left. And any uh, people moves uh, that catch our attention, still lots of those around. But uh, Barry, Talk to us about what the last few weeks has been like or the last few months, because it must have been a tremendous ride. Um, lots of ups, lots of downs, and it obviously ended in triumph. And I think we all saw those scenes of the crowds um, in Milwaukee just going absolutely crazy at the uh, when you won the championship. How's it been for you? It's been an incredible experience, guys. Uh, it was exciting and challenging and hectic and fulfilling and just a lot of fun. Um, it was really, it required an extensive amount of teamwork, most importantly with our entire Bucks communications team, which beside myself includes Dan Smichek and Eric Kolbeck, uh, who are terrific teammates and smart and strategic. But it was, um, it, it wouldn't have been able to be as successful as it was for our standpoint if it wasn't for that teamwork. But that teamwork expanded throughout, throughout really the entire company. Um, everyone has a role, as you know, in communications, uh, particularly on a big event or a big, big couple of weeks of events like this. Uh, our president, Peter Fagan, our general manager, John Horst, our head of business, Raven Jemison, our CMO, Dustin Godsey, GM of the arena, Dennis Williams. I mean, even our chef, Kenneth Hardiman, had a huge part in this because they were doing interviews every day. Um, there was such a thirst from local, national, and international media throughout the finals, throughout the entire playoffs, in fact, that we had a book anywhere from five to 10 interviews uh, a day, sometimes major press conferences, but mostly one-on-one interviews. So everybody had to have a role in it because Peter Fagan couldn't do every interview and, and Dustin Godsey couldn't, although it seemed like because he was constantly, constantly busy. I mean, you know, we have five local stations and this was the centerpiece of their newscast every day for, for about two months. So it took a lot of effort, emails, texts, 
from media, my phone, nothing stopped. Um, it was a major challenge to fulfill as many requests as possible and utilize as many of our leaders as we could. Yeah, and then, of course, not forgetting the players and the certain Yanis, uh, who's such a global star now and played such an amazing role in, in you winning the championship. What's it like in terms of the talent, in terms of keeping them sort of uh, concentrating on the games and uh, on, on the you know tasks ahead of them, but obviously with a tremendous thirst for media access to them as well? How did you handle that part of it? Well, it, it's interesting, you know, because of the pandemic, um, the media access was was less than it normally would be throughout the playoffs, especially during the finals. We did um, most of our interviews uh, were done by Zoom um, until this, uh, which until the finals, until the Eastern Finals, actually, when uh, we were beginning to allow media into the interview rooms, a uh, limited number of media, maybe up to twenty. So the timing was very limited, very short. Um, uh, for each player that or coach, so that I think helped. Um, there wasn't these um, uh, sessions where media would 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 come around and surround a player and would continue to ask questions like it would be maybe at an All Star game or even another final. So that that helped really um, uh, to, to keep their attention on the games and and um, you know Milwaukee uh, doesn't have the, uh, the the amount of media that say that's maybe New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. So that helps as well. While we have a lot of people come in from out of town. The focus is really on the games for the players and practices, and that, that made a big difference. Yeah, and your journey is kind of interesting because you brought up in Brooklyn, went to university in Wisconsin and to study journalism, then came back to work for the New York Post, and then uh, in, in PR agency land at DKC. And then, of course, you worked for the Brooklyn Nets and Barclays Center for – 12 years before you headed back to Milwaukee to be head of comms there. So that's it's kind of a boomerang journey, isn't it? And um, how did you feel when you were up against the Nets in, in you know, such a such an important game? And it was a, it were a real yo-yo series as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, uh, I had I when I had moved from Brooklyn um, to Milwaukee, I had given all my Bucks uh, T-shirts and sweatshirts uh, to my doorman and my super. So I was able, so I really didn't even have any net stuff to even, to even see in my house anymore. Uh, but that, <laughs> Probably was, a good that thing. was a lot. Of, <laughs> yes. Uh, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And in fact, it's funny. Um, Brooke Lopez uh, was with the Nets and now with the Bucks with throughout my entire time with the team, basically and both teams. So, uh, so we have a lot of fun talking about and reminiscing about the Nets days, uh, but it, it's, it was um, it was fun. I mean, you know, I felt like uh, you know, I got emails from a lot of media saying it was it was uh, it must be a fun experience to go from your your the team where you kind of grew up in PR to to the Bucks, where um, you know it's a fun up up and coming team that's now in the finals. And uh, but like both teams, you know, it was a, it was great. We both had uh, you know when I was with the Nets, one of the exciting parts was opening Barclays Center and. And that took about seven years to get done and, and, and then promoting that after it opened. And then here we opened Pfizer Forum uh, in 2018. And, and that's been a, a great experience, too, because it's just a beautiful building. I think anybody who's been here would say that it's just one of the nicest buildings in, in all of sports. So it's, it's, it was fun, exciting. And uh, but fortunately, the Bucks won. 
Yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah. And you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, basketball is such a global sport now, isn't it? There's so much interest. And I know that following your championship win, one of your um, objectives now is to really grow the global reach of the Bucks. So how are you, how are you going about that? Well, it's, it's interesting you ask that. So, you know, during the finals, uh, international media uh, usually is a big part of of, uh, of coming to the finals and, and reporting. And it's a great opportunity for the home team to really promote their city. And that, and we had an, a good amount of local, of international media here. And so, uh, we did the circuit. I had Peter Fagan, who's our president of the Bucks and this great interview. Uh, we did about six or seven, uh, media interviews with international media, uh, before I think it was game three, which was our first championship game here. And it was a constant stream of promoting the city of Milwaukee and the arena and the excitement about Deer uh, District, how we would have 20,000 fans, 25,000 fans outside of our arena um, watching games on a big screen. And that became a major story. So it was a great opportunity to tell the story of Milwaukee and the Bucks at Five Star Forum. And um, you, you really can't, you can't buy uh, coverage like that worldwide. And, um, you know, the NBA is a, is, is one of the most popular sports in the world. And um, so we took advantage of that for sure. Yeah. And what about Giannis? Such a great character, such a brilliant player, first of all. But I think everybody has a soft spot for him because he's such a, a humble guy and such a likable person. His, his story, is, his origin story is so interesting. And he's, he is a genuine global superstar. So how do you, obviously, that's a great asset for the team and the brand, but you also want to protect him a little bit as well. How do you go about that? Well, what you see with Giannis is, is, is what you get. I mean, he is exactly as he is portrayed or as he is seen when he does interviews. He's funny. He's kind. Um, he's got a great sense of humor. He, uh, is very involved with his family and his teammates and his friends. And he's a, you couldn't have a better representative of the Bucks or of Milwaukee for that matter than Giannis. Um, and it's a, it's really it's a pleasure to work with him um, because he's always very thoughtful and kind and says thank you and cares about uh, ask questions you know what are you what are you up to things like that how are your kids and that goes a long way when you work with people as you as you would know from working with people and it means a lot especially from you know the two time MVP so it's been a it's a pleasure to work with him. Um, he, he doesn't do a lot of interviews on a regular basis, one on one, but he'll do if it's really important or if you, if, if, if it's an ABC or TNT, then he'll, he'll do more of that. But he's always available, um, when you need him. Um, he's very appreciative. He says thank you to the media after press conferences. He was the, he welcomed, uh, the media. He said when, when we had media at games, he thanked them for coming, said it was good to see you guys again. I mean, things that you don't hear very often from, from a lot of people. And um, um, yeah, we, we don't do everything that he is asked to do. We pick and choose. We work with his management team, but he's a, a pleasure to work with. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, we're going to talk, myself and Frank are going to talk about this later, but obviously there's been a lot of focus on athletes um, and their interactions with the media. We've had the Naomi Osaka situation. We had the Mets the other, the other day, you know, uh, sort of almost dissing their own crowd. 
the, the, the Ronaldo situation. They're way beyond just sports stars now. They're global influencers, aren't they? But they, they also have a hell of a lot of pressure on them. And, you know, we saw in the Olympics with Simone Biles and the mental health issues around that. How do you as a communicator um, approach those sort of things in that knowing that they are, they are role models well beyond sport and that they can really influence young people, not only in the U.S., but around the world? So fortunately, um, we have a group of players who, who, who get it, right? They understand what their roles are, the impact they have on young kids. Um, whenever, we, whenever we need a player uh, to do a community event, uh, they will raise their hand and say they're happy to do it. Obviously, there's, most players, um, are, for most teams, do community events. It's part of, the, part of the, uh, uh, what NBA players do. But our players are just extremely um, accessible. Um, you, you know, living in a small city like Milwaukee, um, you see them out and about and you only and then you'll see on twitter a player uh uh was at a restaurant or at a mall and fans often take pictures and you see these pictures they post you know fans will post and it just shows how these players are so accessible and 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 thankful for the positions that they're in so we feel really fortunate to have a group of people like that and um it's great to be in a city this size because um you know the players will will go out to um somewhere and and um fans will you know ask for a picture but they let them be for the most part and it's very uh it's a great opportunity for for uh players to um to to see Milwaukee and to feel comfortable walking around yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point about being a different type of city and uh, different pressures maybe to New York or or Chicago or something like that. But um, yeah, what about just the other day, well, just the other day, Steve, uh, Giannis uh, was at a mall in Brookfield, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, and he was noticed, right? And he was at a, a, a store at, at one of the malls, and he came out of the store, and he could see that there were a bunch of people out there waiting for him and, and, and cheering him on. And he took out his video camera and videoed the scene of people videoing him and watching him and yelling for him. And he posted that on his Instagram account. Um, and he wrote, I love Milwaukee. And that just shows the, the, uh, the love affair between um, not just Giannis, but our players and our fans. Yeah, and of course, last year was a difficult year, not just in terms of COVID, but also in the sort of racial reckoning that happened throughout the U.S. And the Bucks were were high profile involved in that, in the players making statements around Black Lives Matter, etc. How does how does that work from a comms point of view, and how do you navigate those issues where the players want to make statements on it, and you know, pe- people supporters are looking for. Um, businesses and brands to make statement on it to widen it out and we talk about that a lot on PR week but then of course you've got a lot of fans on both sides of the political divide for example so how do you balance those slightly difficult communications and reputational challenges right well um you know our players as you know we were our players um uh took a major stand um after um uh, there was a, uh, a killing uh, of an African American. I was, excuse me, a shooting of an African American in a suburb of Milwaukee last year dur- during the uh, the time when the NBA games were in the bubble, and our uh, players uh, decided not to play in that particular playoff game, and they took a stand and they drafted. They took a few hours and drafted their own statement about 
why they're taking that stand and what it means to them and, and how uh, upset they were about how the shooting of this, uh, of Jacob Blake in Kenosha. And so, you know, I felt proud and I think our whole organization did felt proud to, to work for a, uh, a company that um, is very progressive, that believes in uh, the right issues, uh, that takes stands, and that's 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 how we are. Um, and, and it led it was led by the players, and as a result, um, yes, there were not some people didn't appreciate it, and we certainly heard about that from emails or or um, phone calls from various fans who didn't didn't think that. Players uh, uh, should um, not uh, should support some of these issues and should make such a big stand and should not play a game um, and should separate their their thoughts uh, and their their actions from a basketball game. But the players felt otherwise, and um, and that led to uh, the entire league uh, shutting down and not playing the games. So it was a it, it meant a lot. Um, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, we're not telling the players what to, how to handle that. We're, we're working with them. We're helping guide them if they have any questions, but they're, they're, um, they have their own beliefs and, uh, we completely support it. And, uh, our ownership group, uh, uh, drafted a statement as well, uh, in support of how the players decided not to play and protest that game. And it was, uh, I, we felt really, um, uh, we were really a, a one group in support of, of the players. And, um, so that's how we felt. And, um, it was, I was, I, I felt really good to be part of an organization that takes those stands. Yeah. So it's authentic. It's from the heart. If you look over the last year, what would, what was the highlight for you? What was the thing that you thought, wow, this is just unbelievable. You know, it must've been a bit of a, you know, a bit of a lifelong moment for you as a communicator, as it just like, as for, for, for loads of Bucks fans, what, what, what really stands out for you? Well, you know, I get chills thinking about seeing uh, 65,000 people on our plaza. And in fact, we had to open up additional areas of our plaza uh, during game six of the finals. Um, I would go, I was up at the top of the building uh, with overlooking that crowd at some, at one point. And it's, it was just breathtaking to see the, the excitement that people had, how the whole entire city came together as one um, and, and rooted on the bucks. And, you know, there's not that many things that would bring that many people together. Um, But it really was an incredible, incredible atmosphere, incredible feeling that we were all as one. We were rooting for the same goal. We were rooting for the same players. Um, So that was one of the, the, the highlights for sure. And then, the parade after the finals, after we won the finals, to be uh, to be on the parade. I was on one of the um, double decker buses uh, going through the city, and there was hundreds of thousands of people there on on uh, rooting on the team, and it was an incredibly uh, moving moment of seeing the players. Uh, whether some fans would throw T-shirts and a pen to the players, and they would sign in, throw it back down, or or things like that that just stood out as incredible moments um and then we would we finally got after going through the city we finally got to Pfizer forum where we had a, a ceremony a celebration and there were hundreds of thousands of people in in our in our plaza area 
uh, watching and ready to and rooting us on. And it was an incredible atmosphere. So um, you, you felt so excited. I think everybody had a smile the entire the entire moment, uh, the entire trip of the of the um, parade. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Us New York sports fans can only dream of that stuff at the moment. But, so, <laughs> but one day, one day, one of our teams will come good. Barry, I know you're <laughs> incredibly busy and I know you've got to head off for a meeting with your GM now. So, so, so much fun to uh, hear the, your thoughts and your experiences. And thanks so much for joining us on the PR Week. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. It's been a pleasure to be here and I'm, I, I appreciate you having me on. Cheers, Barry. Frank, what'd you make of that? You're a big sports fan. It was, uh, we could do with a bit of that success in New York, though, couldn't we? <laughs> well, we, yeah, we could. And, and you know, we, uh, we may have two baseball teams in the playoffs this year and, and uh, might even have two basketball teams in the playoffs next year. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll chat about sports a bit in a minute. But uh, big story this week, PR legend David Finn. He's turned 100 years old, quite a milestone and really uh, one of the real four founders of the industry and a, a, a great person. It, it really is. Um, it's I, I, The thing I think the most remarkable um, about David Finn is that he's, he's really the, the patriarch of several different agencies uh, and several different significant agencies with, the, with big teams, good clients, well-known. Uh, I don't know how many other people could say that or, or what a equivalent is, uh, you know, in a different type of business. And um, he founded one of the first PR firms in the whole country in 1948 uh, with Bill Reuter, um, uh, who was who his business partner, um, in the linen closet at the Lombardi Hotel in New York City. So uh, I, I'm always amazed at the, the origin <laughs> yeah. story with some of these firms. Some of them are amazing. <laughs> Um, but I, I just think it's terrific. And we had a whole who's who list of people who have worked with him over the years. Um, and the recollections of him are terrific. And you should really check it out. And you should also listen, think of it as bonus content. Uh, we, we have a feature uh, on the website from 2008 uh, in which uh, people from PR Week sat down with some of the real founding fathers uh, of the industry, as it were, um, you know, Dan Edelman, Howard, uh, Harold Burson, uh, all these folks that their names are still on agencies, uh, doors to this day. So, um, that's terrific. And you should check that out too, if you get a second. Yeah, it's great with Al Golan as well. And they were the, like yeah. four, the four big sort of, um, agency giants. And sadly, you know, David is the only one still with us. Um, but yeah, it's interesting what you say about it. There's three agencies now, uh, from the, the Rudafin roots, whereas, and that's probably not the way he, he, he intended it, but that's probably, we talked about that on previous podcasts and, uh, a very different way to how Edelman developed, for example. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. sure it's not. I'm sure it's not how he, but it, uh, how he planned it out. But it, it's still. Uh, I, I think it just goes to show the the legacy that uh, that he left, and um, he, you know, it just that so many firms can just just trace their lineage back to him. I think is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, some really great uh, alumni as well. Um, yeah. went went through the doors of Rudifin, and we got contributions from a lot of them. His first client was Perry Como uh, in that linen closet, so that's pretty amazing. Wild, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he you know he worked for John F. Kennedy and uh, as yeah. well. So um, some great stories, and uh, and it, what I what people maybe don't realize is what an incredible 
player he was in the art market and uh, sculpture um, Mm -hmm. and poetry. You know, he's a hundred books of his photography um, in the National Archive Library in D.C., um, so he's an incredibly creative person and, and really was a bit of a forerunner in purpose in business. So, um, yeah, many, many happy returns, David. I know he's not in great health, but he's, he's 100 years old, and that's a massive milestone and one worth celebrating for sure. Now, Frank, some companies are giving their staff the week off. What that's all about in leading up to um, Labor Day, not just sort of a holiday weekend, but a holiday week. So talk us through it. Yeah, a um, couple bold-faced names in terms of the companies that are doing this. Um, Nike is one of them. Uh, who's giving employees uh, some time off to de-stress uh, at the, the headquarters in Beaverton, Oregon, which they said is, has been powered down. Uh, so have agencies, Water and Wall, Interpublic Groups, Media Brands, Media Binder Agency, and um, Bojangles, the chicken-focused fast food chain uh, is giving its employees what it's calling a well-deserved break. Uh, However, employees will not be paid for those uh, two days off that they take from Bojangles. Um, But it is good to see companies recognizing uh, how hard people have worked over the past year. Um, And I think some decompression time is a good idea. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been a tough 18 months, hasn't it? And, um, you know, everyone's mental health and well-being is of optimum uh, should be of optimum uh, consideration from all employees and edelman and google have sort of pushed back their back to the office plans as well in light of the sort of rise in delta that's right and uh, you know we're seeing other types of events uh get canceled uh, or postponed as well and I, I know we talked about this recently uh you know sort of gives you that weird spring 2000 feeling now i we're not quite at that same level of cancellations and closures and pushbacks yet but um edelman is uh one of the firms that uh is is pushing back their return to the office um and and i I think that's interesting too because uh their ceo richard edelman very notably talked about how uh, he wanted employees in the office three out of five days a week um so um interesting to see uh, how many other firms follow suit edelman's bellwether of course and a lot of uh, a lot of firms follow their direction on different things uh google also pushing back their return to the office date uh into early next year january 10th um and one thing i think is really interesting about this is that when you talk to folks throughout the industry uh, they make a point to say that, that you got to communicate often uh, and as early as you can about things like return of the office and the communications department plays a big role in that and doing it right across the company. And one of the biggest assets that a company like Google uh, has uh, is putting their CEO front and center and having him talk about this uh, and which uh, Sundar Pakai has been doing at Google and really uh, explaining how it's going to offer workers more flexibility and and the various details of this. And another thing you hear when you talk to folks out there is that, you know, not having a a final decision or not having a set number of dates of returning or or not knowing everything isn't an excuse for not communicating about it. Uh, And your employees expect the executives to be talking about it and giving information, even if it's just to say, you know, we're going to get back to you in two weeks and we're going to tell you more uh, starting October 1st or whatever the case is. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it was interesting to see, well, Bonnaroo is being cancelled. That was yeah. due to flooding and uh, 
the ground being waterlogged, but also the PRSA conference has gone totally virtual. That was going to be a hybrid event with some with yes. some in person stuff down in Florida, but that's now going to be all. Um, all virtual so yeah um well we're going back to the office aren't we so uh week on monday so um we are we we it'll be good to see you man yeah, we, I, <laughs> literally I, I, haven't, yeah, haven't seen you for 18 months so it's, it's <laughs> gonna be it, it's funny because there are there are so many people that that we've met virtually but but haven't really met in person and um uh, who knows? It's going to be a lot of uh, maybe even nice, awkward. Nice, to, uh, nice to meet you. you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some of the reporting team for sure. Um, let's talk about sports again because um, you know we've talked about this on the podcast a few times. Athletes pushing back a bit, maybe on the media and pushing back on their fans this week. I don't know what you thought. You're a Mets fan, aren't you? I am. What do yeah. you think of your players giving the crowd a thumbs down? That was a bit. That, was like, that didn't go down very well, did it? No, no, it didn't. I mean, um, look, it's never smart for players to go against the fans or pick fights uh, with the fans. <laughs> that, that, that being said, I, I will say uh, the the booing at City Field had had really, I think become a bit much over the past couple of years. I, I know there's people that disagree with me about this, but it had reached an almost um, Philadelphia level of, of unhappiness. And, uh, wow, that bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the play-by-play guy for the Mets, who is a, uh, Gary Cohen, who is a, a really intelligent guy, and the Mets have a great booth uh, that does play-by-play for all of the, the games on SNY and, and uh, really intelligent guys. But Gary Cohen had a headed I think a really thoughtful take on this. It is talked about during the game and, and credit to them working for the station that is, um, I believe partially owned by the team for, for talking about this on air and really, you know, trying to, to put some thought into it. And, and his thought was you, you have an entire young generation of players coming up now who are coached so positively from the time their kids and you know the style of coaching now is to be positive all the time and and to build up confidence and and to take a lot of the you know uh you guys would call it what the hair dryer treatment take that out of the take that out of the coaching and and to really just build up these guys confidence all the time and you have that and combined with uh there's a bit you know fans are more outspoken than they used to be and and both live and on social media and the combination of all of those things uh has has created a different level of sensitivity than, than maybe there were in with past generations of ball players um so you should check that out it's 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 all over twitter but i i think he made a number of good points when when he talked about it and i i think really kudos to him for for putting some thought into addressing the situation instead of, instead of trying to sweep it under the rug yeah um, but that, the, the, i do the, think that's true the, the club came out though didn't they and they kind of uh you know sold the players that's not really on um they were yeah. pretty un- unequivocal about that weren't they and a lot of commentators on the mainstream media as well yeah um which i think they had to do I, and i think it's important to say that of the players that did that you know francisco lindor is uh generally a very likable player and he's on a 10-year contract with the team and and he is not going anywhere anytime soon so it's obviously in his interest to uh, apologize quickly and thoroughly and you know he was at the u.s open the other night and seemed to be having a good time so maybe it's behind him now javier baez who was 
the one who spilled the beans on what this whole thumbs down uh, thing meant. He uh, is likely only going to be with the team through the summer. Uh, so this may be just a short-term <laughs> issue for the team, but it will it will go down as one of those strange, messy things that only happens with them. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, yeah. Um, and he brought his kid into the press conference, didn't he, as well? So you got that whole dynamic going on. And you, you mentioned the U.S. Yeah, yeah. The mentioned the U.S. Open. Naomi Osaka's been chatting um, and just reflecting, if you like, on the French Open presser. And maybe she she said maybe she'd handled it a bit differently now if she she could have done. And, and maybe admitting that she could have handled it a bit better. So that was it was kind of interesting to hear her say that. And um, you know, these are tough situations for young people to be in, aren't they? I, I that's something I think about a lot with this in that um, I, I actually wasn't sure how old she was and looked it up before the podcast. And she's she's 23. And it, it's really an extraordinary amount of pressure for a 23 year old to be dealing with. Um, yeah. and, and I think you're kind of seeing that growth before your eyes. And in a lot of ways, that's really natural for somebody her age to really kind of grow into their own skin, so to speak. and. Um, I, I think it's good to see her uh, really talk about these things openly and, and really put herself out there because that's that's not something that everybody would do. Yeah, but I think that's a good um, way of putting it, actually. She is literally growing up before our eyes. And, yeah. you know, not, not everybody has to do it in front of millions of people around the world. So um, she was, she's from Queens, so I hope she does well in the U.S. Open. And, uh, you know, I hope she gets her tennis back on track because, essentially, she's just an incredibly talented uh, athlete. So, And then Ronaldo, he's coming home, mate. He's coming he's, home he's, to where he Yeah. Belongs. Now, do you, do you, you, you sound happy about it, are you you're comfortable with the deal at his age, or? Well, I'm happier than I was a week ago because he was looked like he was going to our deadly rivals, Manchester City, when, when I, we were all sort of cursing him. So, uh, it, yeah, I think he's going to bring that winning. You mentioned that uh, hair dry treatment. He's not going to accept any uh, second ratedness in in the dressing room in the locker room or from the other players, he's going to, everyone's level is going to have to go up a notch. He has the highest standards. I mean, you've all seen his, we've all seen his physique because he, he does sort of take his shirt off on every occasion when he gets the chance. And, uh, you're like, he okay, drinks a yeah. lot of water. You can <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you compare him to someone like another legend of our, of our Manchester United, uh, Wayne Rooney, let's just say he probably hasn't looked after himself quite in the same way as uh, Ronaldo, which is why he's now retired and he's uh, has been for a couple of years. So, yeah, he is a bit older, but he's still got, you know, he's a bit like Federer and that's got a couple of years left in him and he will bring a fantastic mentality. And from a business point of view for the Glazers, the owners, I think that it's just a it's a money making machine. You know the, the merchandise yeah. and all the spin offs and the, just the awareness, the social media, the followers he brings. It's incredible, really. But uh, mainly, he's going to bring that winning mentality and be fantastic for young players to have that around sure. the, the the room dressing room. So yeah, lots going on in sports. Um, let's talk about the US uh, withdrawing from Afghanistan. It's been a big narrative this week we saw um uh tens of thousands of people airlifted out and there was a very impactful image wasn't there of the last um 
servicemen to 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 leave you know almost coming on the runway um into the plane what was your take on it what was your take on the optics uh, after president biden's um com- press conference yesterday or speech yesterday i thought that his speech was largely good um I think he made a lot of good points in the speech. I think that him talking about the number of soldiers who have served in um, Iraq and Afghanistan who commit suicide is, is very, it's important to point that out as well as the amount of money uh, that the U S has, has spent in those two countries fighting wars for the past 20 years. Um, I thought that, he made good points in defending the airlift and how many people that they have gotten out in two weeks. I don't know that any of that is going to uh, stop the people from remembering the images associated with, you know, people falling from airplanes or, or rushing the runway at the airport or, or, or things like that, because I, well, the, I think those, uh, yeah, and the impact of the bomb, the ISIS bomb. Yeah. I, I think that, um, I, I think that those images tend to stay with people for a long time and they ultimately tend to tell the story of, of what happens there. I think the polling on it is, is, is shows it's a complicated situation, but largely says that, uh, while most people in this country are in favor of pulling out of Afghanistan, they think that the way that we pulled out of it was was botched, was not uh, executed properly. I, I agree with that, and I think that um, I, I think that that is I, that is reflective of the uh, of the situation. That obviously the pullout could have been done a lot more uh, effectively. That being said, I do think it's important to say that they they have gotten a lot of people out. Uh, in the past two weeks, and they deserve credit for improving the situation on the ground around the airport. Um, I, I mean, I, I think a lot of people have a, a sinking feeling that we're not quite done with this country, and it's not going to be a you know a complete. And that you know, Biden even said yesterday, uh, we will probably be going after the, this ISIS K group for a while, as well as other groups that operate in that country, and. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's it is a very it's like the old adage that a lot of times somebody in the president's role doesn't have any good decisions to make, and it's it's in choosing from the the best of worst case scenarios. And I think you could see that's that's a scenario that that played out here. Yeah, it's very nuanced and it's very difficult, and there's um, you know horrible images and horrible decisions. Mm. Um, I, do, I I agree that I do think it was botched a little bit. I'm afraid, and uh, I don't know whether that's because it, they wanted it to happen before the 20th anniversary of 9/11, and we'll talk more about that next week. But um, you know, it, it's it's left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, and then you know, the, even the timing of the the speech yesterday, 3 p.m. It was almost like, what do you, try, you know, what's? It's certainly the first massive test of the communications function around the White House because, um, you know, they've they've had they've they've kind of done a pretty, uh, they've not plain sailing, but they've they've certainly returned it to normality, haven't they? And this is this has been a, a challenge from the optics and communications point of view, and um, and and this. You know, with the Fibra on social media, there was the, those images of people hanging from helicopters. Yeah. 
where people were saying this was the, uh, the Taliban hanging people, and it actually turns out it wasn't that at all. It was uh, their people trying to put a put a flag up on in the, on the airbase or something like that, and they were waving at people. So you've got all yeah. this all this stuff around as well, all this going on. And I, I think that that just gives to show that um, we may have moved beyond. Well, well, most of the country has moved beyond the 2020 elections. Very notable uh, <laughs> former presidents of not. Uh, but um, it, it just goes to show that that, that, that hyper partisan environment that we're in and that businesses operate in and the businesses are still keeping an eye on. It hasn't completely gone away, and in these situations like this, it gets it gets just just pushed out so quickly on social media. I I think that that is a there's been a lot of information. There was one about yesterday about where the Pentagon spokesperson or a Pentagon spokesperson had to tweet that they actually didn't leave any dogs behind uh, on the ground, which they were accused of doing on social media. Uh, but that was a totally, completely unrelated group that was was sort of, I guess, operating like a humane society and trying to rescue dogs there. And, and just even these things like that, that uh, it just goes to show you how quickly you have to move to correct misinformation before it goes viral. And and I didn't in some cases I don't even know if you can move quick enough. Just just how quickly these things yeah. happen, but it just goes to show you organizations just have to be so fast and so light on their feet, and and ready to respond to even really absurd claims like that you're leaving dogs behind, you know, things like that. Yeah. No. Well, I, you know, we remember the the twenty two push up challenge from a couple of years yeah. ago the, the, to raise awareness of the veterans who commit suicide every day twenty two every day um, so that was a point well made and our thoughts are with uh, all of the service men and women who lost their lives in and the Afghanistan population who lost their lives in the the ISIS attack uh, last week and um, and throughout this twenty year war um, you know it, it it we should never forget the uh, the service and, and the impact on, on lots of American and, and uh, families from other parts of the world. Many Brit- British soldiers killed over there as well. Um, very quickly, Frank, let's talk about SAIC because they've got a new um, head of comms, but they've also got what um, the person who did do the job has, has got a new gig as well. Yeah, a lot of movement over there. Um, so their new head uh, SVP of marketing and communications is somebody well known to our audience, and that's um, a former AFLAC executive, Catherine Hernandez Blades. Um, so she uh, joined up at SAIC recently, and that's by the way, that's an organization that provides government services, IT support, uh, really tech consultants, that sort of work. Um, and she was a, a, at least a six-year veteran of AFLAC before she joined over there, and known well for her work on the My Special AFLAC. Duck Project, which I'm made a special former podcast guest, yeah, yeah, yeah. special athlete yeah. Duck, yes, one of my favorite guests we've ever had. Absolutely. Um, meanwhile, uh, SEIC's former CCO and CMO, uh, and also a veteran of Raytheon, uh, Royola Santos, has joined uh, the UK-based uh, defense aerospace security company BAE Systems uh, as VP of Communications for the intelligence and security sectors. Uh, she's recording up to that sector's president, uh, Al Whitmore. 
Yeah, so good luck to both of those individuals. Um, thanks, Frank. Good to uh, good to do a show with you, and um, yes. have a good uh, holiday weekend, Labor Day. It's the end of yeah. the summer. Unbelievable. Sure. Really. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, so don't forget the PR Week Awards. The early deadline is gone, but you can still get your entries in. I think you've got a couple of weeks at least to do that. So do make sure you've got your best work submitted for that. The Purpose Awards. We're going to be celebrating those in person in October on the 13th in New York City. So we'd love to see you there. It'd be great to see people out and about again. PR Decoded will be virtual. The conference, um, just like the PRSA, we've decided to do a virtual event. So it's the 12th to the 14th of October. 40 Under 40 will be in person as at the moment anyway, um, and that's going to be on the 28th of October. And uh, news to come on the Hall of Fame event as well. But uh, that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.